Good morning, church. Being a teacher of the word, I cannot help but build line upon line and precept upon precept. And so I started with the introduction for today's message, and it ended up being three pages of notes. And there wasn't enough time to do the introduction and the sermon. So the first four pages of your notes are the introduction, which I am not going to cover, because I've covered that in past sermons. Starting on page five of your notes, that's what we are going to cover this morning. And I'm going to ask you, just ignore pages one through four till you get home, so we can focus on pages five through eight this morning, because that's what we will cover this morning. You might notice the formats of your notes change on page five, and that's because I'm trusting you to be as the Bereans, seeking out the scriptures which I've put there for you, and testing my words and seeing that they are true to scripture. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a pleasure it is to be in your house this morning and every morning. What a pleasure it is to be with your saints. But most importantly, Father, what a pleasure it is to hear from your heart. And so I pray, Father, this morning that you would anoint your words, that they would not only transform the mind, but they would pierce the heart and make us more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. I would say that somebody told Warren what the sermon was about this morning before the sermon's given. And in a sense, that's true because the Holy Spirit told him. And uh, I question whether I should even do the sermon after that. But because I'm a teacher and this is a how to flow in the gifts of the Spirit message, I think I will go on and do that. We're going to start... Um, in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. You know, the Bible gives some very specific direction when it comes to being saved. The first uh, example we see here is in Acts 16. And this is uh, the jailer after the earthquake that freed Paul and Silas. Verse 29, then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved and your household. Very specific. Believe on the Lord, and you shall be saved. Paul gives us a little deeper insight in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So again, very specific. Believe on Jesus in your heart, confess what's in your heart, from your heart, and you shall be saved. Very specific. But now when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
it seems to me that the Bible is silent. It doesn't give us these specific steps. One example, let's look at Acts chapter 18, verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see here that being born again is a prerequisite to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at least in this instance, we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, was in part the result of their laying on hand, their hands on those who sought and received the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, there is a distinction between being born of the Spirit and being filled or baptized with the Spirit. In being born of the Spirit, which is the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to change us, to give us new hearts, to make us new creatures, to make us alive spiritually, There's a difference between that and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We understand that people who were baptized with the Holy Spirit were already believers and they were already regenerated. So we must distinguish then between the Spirit's working to make us spiritually alive and the Spirit's work in baptizing or filling us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to being equipped with and or empowered by God's spirit to carry out the task that Jesus has given to his church. This is important. We don't get the Holy Spirit so we can feel fuzzies, warm fuzzies. We don't get the Holy Spirit so that we can be important in the body of Christ. We don't get the Holy Spirit for any other reason than to build up the kingdom of God and to be empowered to mature the body of Christ, to minister to the needs of one another. I find it very interesting that so often someone who has a gift in one area struggles with receiving whatever that gift is in themselves. If you have a gift of healing, oftentimes you find it very difficult to get healed yourself. Because the gift isn't for you. The gift is to build the kingdom of God. That's why he gives gives us the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's usually accompanied by speaking in unknown tongues or prophecy or the demonstration of one of the other gifts of the Spirit. This is likely how, in the verses we just read, that Peter and John knew the Samaritan believers received the Holy Spirit because there was some outward demonstration of that empowerment that they had received. I don't know if it's important, but being a teacher, I have to ask the question, so why is Scripture so silent about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? 
If this what we're here for, you would think it would be, it would tell us, do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and man, you, you, and it would work, it would be. But it's not that way. And I'm not sure that I fully understand, but I think the following inconclusive list is logical. First, it's a step in growing closer to God, in learning to know God more. Therefore, he wants us to trust him to give us our unknown prayer language, to give us his words to encourage others, to allow his power to touch others through us. He wants us to trust him as the process of growing closer to him. Secondly, I I think it's not made plain so that it won't be abused. I think we see an example of this in Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the hands of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. Because you thought that the gift of God could be, pur- could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So I, I suspect that part of the reason why flowing in the Holy Spirit is not a formula is because God doesn't want it abused. Another thing is it's not a formula. You know, I, I think of witchcraft and spells. They have formulas. But God is not that way. God works by faith. God works by trust, which is the Old Testament word for faith. All right, so how do we flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to break the sermon into two parts here. First, I'm going to do the overview of what, of what helps, puts us in a place to flow in the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to go back and cover each part of that with more detail. One of the most important steps to flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to pursue love and desire the gifts. That's exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. It goes on to say, but especially that you may prophesy. Remember that in the church at Corinth, Paul was dealing with their abuse of tongues. And his premise was that tongues without interpretation only edify the person who gives it. Whereas prophecy will edify all. And so in, the, in that context, prophecy is more important than tongues. But that's beside the point. We pursue love and we desire spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, which I've preached on before, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
being rooted and grounded in God's love, the enemy cannot come and condemn us when we are trying to minister to others. And sensing God's flow of love towards others is often the first indication that God has a blessing in store for them that he wants to grant through you. I mean, I love you all. But there are times that one individual, I just sense the yearning and love of God for. And that says to me that there's something in your life that God wants to fix or, or make even better. Not like it's wrong, it's just he's got a blessing for you. And it's, it's that sensing of God's love for an individual that is oftentimes the first um, sign, if you will, that God has a blessing in store for them. And if God gives you that extra compassion for them, allows you to sense his love for them, then it's likely that you are the person that he wants to grant that blessing through. A noted teacher in the body of Christ said, whenever we discern the love of God flowing through us towards someone, God is reaching out to them through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is follow that flow through faith. So when you, get the, when, you, when you discern that, that God has something for somebody, all you have to do is follow it with faith. And what is that? It's putting one foot in front of the other, even though you don't know where it's going, right? You don't know where it's going to lead. You might only have one word. You might have no words, but that, that's there. And so you speak out to him. I can tell God's heart is inclined towards you this morning. I believe God wants to bless you. And as you start to speak, just like when you receive tongues at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you, you didn't have any words in mind, did you? But as a word started circulating, you spoke it and more words came. That's how the gifts work. Prophecy can work the same way. You don't necessarily have to have all the words before you start speaking because it is of faith. I think it's also important to understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't turn the gifts on and off. The gifts are always available to us. If I could be candid, it's us that turn on and off. The power of God is always available when there, where there, wherever there's a need. The question is, are we available? And then we are encouraged to desire spiritual gifts. I remember, um, and it's, it, this is a different list of the spiritual gifts, but I remember when God called me to be a teacher. I was like, oh, Wayne, you're so vain. Oh, Wayne, you're so proud. Well, but I was always good at teaching. Always good at teaching. Before, even before I was born, again, I was good at teaching. And then when the, when the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, knocked me down off of my feet in front of 3,000 people and called me to be a teacher in the body of Christ. There was no denying. So it's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts. That's what God, that's what the Bible, that's what 
Paul says we should do, desire spiritual gifts. And so having desired spiritual gifts, what's the next logical step? Stir it up, right? That's what God said he was going to do, is to stir up the gifts in the body of Christ. And while he's doing that, every time God does something, there's a place for us to do something as well, isn't there? And so if God's stirring up the gifts in the body of Christ, we need to be stirring up our own gifts. Well, how do you do that? How do you stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I would suggest something like this. As you're looking around, God will point somebody out to you. That love, that discernment of God's love for them will start to flow. And you ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to give to this person through me? And I'll be amazed if you don't get something. Now, you may think it's ridiculous, like picking up a paralyzed child and dropping him off of a platform of a statue. That doesn't make no sense. But God's used that to heal people. At least one person I know of. But the thing is, is if you get it, you get a word of prophecy for somebody or for the church, and you think, well, oh my, what if I'm wrong? And you don't give it. You will never know if you were right or wrong. Unless, like in my instance, God gave the same word through somebody else. Can't always count on that. Doesn't always happen. But once it did, where I got a word and I wasn't sure and somebody else got up and gave the same word. In the Greek, the word, and that was from, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And that Greek word for stir up, it's like kindling a fire with a bellows. You remember, you remember any of you, all of you old enough to remember a bellows to get a fire going instead of blowing on it and hyperventilating, falling out into the fire? Yeah, bellows are much better. But that's what we are to do. We are to blow on our gift. We are to pay attention to our gift and in the spirit cause it to become a flame. And we do that by practicing. We also can aid that by fasting. And you all know that fasting is abstaining from food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. And it does a lot of things like crucifying our flesh and breaking bad habits and bondages in our lives. It produces a closeness to God, and it also helps us to hear God's voice better. And I'm not saying we have to fast forever, but there are periods of time when God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us into fasting. And there are other periods of time where we know we need to fast because there's something not right in our spirit. Uh, and then many of us suffer from timidity. That's uh, the secular word for what the Bible calls the fear of men. Can I tell you something? I am not God. Therefore, I am not perfect. And since I'm not God, since I am not perfect, it is expected that I will make mistakes. And mistakes are okay. 
Because when I make a mistake, that's when I have the opportunity to learn how to do it right or do it better. And what an awesome opportunity and privilege we have here at Christian Outreach Church. Living our lives in a group of people who are so loving and forgiving. I can't remember the last time we stoned anybody here for making a mistake. Because we all know that none of us are God. And we're all prone to make mistakes. But then at the same time, it wouldn't be just right for us to let, let us continue in our mistake thinking it was right, right? So there are many gentle encouragers here that will come alongside and help us grow from our mistake. Mistakes are not bad. Oh, they're not the greatest thing in the world, but mistakes are good because they allow us to grow in our spiritual gift. Now, I wouldn't want to make mistakes every time, but occasional mistakes help me to discern when, the whole, when I'm hearing from God and when I'm not. So just as receiving Jesus is simple, so is flowing in the Holy Spirit. With our hearts we believe, and with our lips or some other part of our body we profess. It might be laying hands on somebody. It might be praying for somebody. It might be pronouncing something. But we simply believe that God wants to use us in a situation. And then by faith, we put one foot in in front of the other. After we have asked the Holy Spirit what it is he wants to do in that situation. I've tried to make a practice that before I pray for anybody, I pray in tongues to myself. Asking the Holy Spirit, what is it that he wants to do for this person or in this situation? And as I uh, pointed out in the first four pages of the notes, know your authority in Christ. Know who you are in Christ and your authority in him through the regular reading of the scriptures and the hearing of God's word. You know, there are times when somebody will say something, and I'll say, you know what, that's not quite right. There's something wrong there. And it's not because... It's a word of discernment. It's just that through the years of reading God's word, I know God. I know what God would likely do and would not likely do in any situation. Well, I mean, I won't go that far. In most situations, many situations. Some. Anyhow, I, I, know, I know God's character. And when somebody says something that doesn't measure up to God's character, it's not a word of discernment. It's the fact that it doesn't fit with God. That's why you can test your own prophecies or your own words of discernment. But it's also a practice of being in the word regularly. 
that we get to know what God would do in a given situation. That we would learn to hear God's voice and his words through the reading of the word and the hearing of the word. That's why a lot of times I like to read the word out loud. When I just read silently, a lot of times I just fall asleep. But when I read out loud, somehow it's, it's kind of like writing. If I print, I don't remember a thing. If I type it on the typewriter, I don't remember my sermons. If I write it out in, in um, longhand, thank you, then I remember it. It sticks. Romans 8, verses 9 through 11 say, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now I read this in context, but I want to point out verse 11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You know, I think for most spirit-filled believers, we believe that the hardest miracle that, that, that God can perform through us is to raise somebody from the dead. And I've heard some readings, uh, like Kenneth Hagin, who says that that's because it requires three of the gifts of the Spirit to do. Miracles, healing, and um, I don't remember the third one, I'm sorry. But at any rate, but really, it's the same Spirit that is within you that raised Christ from the dead. So is it hard, far reach to think that he could speak through you to the congregation or to another person? I remember one time we were at a campfire. It was a camping set out. And uh, there were some, some, some parents. There were like four, four of us guys. And I don't know what the women were doing. But we were sitting down and we were talking about scripture and stuff. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact what that it was. But when I got done sharing what I thought, I sat there and we, it was just quiet. You just said something really profound or really dumb. And I'm like, where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when we don't even realize God is using us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I can do that because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. There is nothing impossible with God. I can do all things in Christ Jesus because his spirit dwells in me. And the same is true for each one of you. You know, too often we allow past failures to rob us of our faith. Along with Pastor Nick and John Prudian, I can say many of the people I have prayed for either were not healed or died. 
And that's frustrating. But I know in each case it was not God's fault. In fact, in many of those cases, I too often prayed out a presumption rather than having heard in that still, still, that still small voice in my spirit that it was God's will to heal them. Now, who am I to judge God why he chooses to or not to heal somebody at a given point in time? That's not for me to judge. But what is for me is the reason I fail so often is that I'm not doing it because I heard God tell me to do it, but I do it because either it's expected of me or because God's a healing God. Who won't, I mean, he should heal everybody, right? Jesus died by or his stripes so that we could be healed. So a lot of times I just do it out of obedience. But if I want it to be successful, and I had this happen. <clears throat> uh, my wife was teaching in another school and she had a student who had brain cancer. And um, <clears throat> I just had a compassion in my heart for this student. And so I, I asked Trish to ask the parents if we could come up and pray for him or her. I think it was her. Pray for her. And they said yes. <laughs> we got there. They said, just, just don't tell her she's dying. So I didn't do that, but I did rebuke the spirit of death. And that young girl grew up to become a mama. I don't believe she's still alive today, but she lived the rest of the years that God had given her. It was because I heard from the Holy Spirit. I knew God wanted to heal her. There's more in the notes, but I'm going to stop here. We have communion this morning, and I want to leave, give time for uh, worship because this is what I'm going to ask. Well, first of all, before I ask that, is there anybody here right now who feels like they have a word or a gifting or, or something that God wants to give through you to somebody else here? Is there anybody here like in, right now, they would like that. What feels led to do that? No, no fear of God. No fear of man. I mean, no fear of man. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to commune with God through the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to enter during into worship. And during worship, I want you to be sensitive, please, to the Holy Spirit. And see what he would say through you. Maybe it's for one of the people here. Maybe he just gives you a prayer. But be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he's asking you to do. If it's for somebody else or for this congregation, stir up your gift by practicing it. And if you're not sure, seek out an elder or somebody else who is active in the same gift and ask them for confirmation. And after worship, then I will close and give the benediction. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful to you. 
that you have changed our lives, that you have filled us with your spirit that indwells us, that you have empowered us to accomplish that which you have set before us. And that you have chosen to work through us. That we may have the joy of seeing other lives changed. Other people ushered into your kingdom. To see so many restored. And all that is yet still before us. So we thank you, Father, for your presence here this morning. And we thank you for your words that have penetrated our hearts and have transformed our minds. We say thank you, Lord. In dismissing you this morning, I would remind you to pursue love, to desire spiritual gifts, to stir up those spiritual gifts, fan them aflame, ablaze. As you go out this week, look for those opportunities that God every day puts in front of us. To touch somebody with his love. Do not be afraid of man. For he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. And you serve a faithful God. Go in his power. In Jesus' name, amen.